Hey, girlfriend, it's time for Can We Just Talk About This? Where real talk meets real life in the world of fitness and health during perimenopause. I'm nutrition, strength, and hormone coach Corey Jackson, and I'm chatting with my brilliant friend, coach and exercise physiologist Dr. Mandy Para. Whether you're in your 50s like me or your 30s like Mandy, we're here to navigate the ever-evolving journey of life, motherhood, and perimenopause together. So pull up a seat, get comfy, and let's talk about this. Hey there, girlfriend. Today, Mandy put me in the hot seat and asked me to share about my experience with perimenopause to date. And to be honest, it's been a rather rough ride. I mean, I can go through a checklist of the known symptoms of estrogen decline and check off, well, a majority of them as I have experienced them or am still experiencing them. But even in the chaos, there's joy. I've learned that getting curious about my body and the changes I'm experiencing has helped me to mentally roll with the changes. I'm hoping that my honest share here helps you to get curious too, because there's a sense of control imparted when you realize the explanation of a symptom or experience. Knowing that what you are experiencing really does have a physiological root can encourage you to find management techniques and make you feel in charge once again. Also, knowing that you're not the only one going through it is helpful. Community created among women undergoing the menopause transition together makes the load more manageable. So it's my hope that my story will convince at least one other girlfriend that she's not alone, that there's another woman out there traversing perimenopause with some of the same symptoms, and that she also will emerge on the other side changed, wiser, and victorious. And if you would like help with your health and fitness in perimenopause, I am taking clients to my hormone coaching intensive. Feel free to visit my website at www.clearpathfitness.com to book a consultation. I'll be sure to link it in the show notes because I'd love to chat with you. All right, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Can We Just Talk About This? I'm so excited today because we actually flipped the script here and I get to interview Corey on her experience thus far in perimenopause. So last uh, episode, if you'll remember, if you've listened to that one already, we looked at the typical 28-day menstrual cycle. We talked about where the hormones come from and what happens during different phases. And now we are going to dive into What happens when we start to enter into that perimenopausal chapter of life? And what does it look like from a hormonal and behavioral and all exercise, nutrition, all those standpoints? So, Corey, what do you think? Are you excited? I am in the hot seat. It'll be fun. Hot seat. Yes, you are. Yes, you are, my friend. All right. (laughs) We talked a little bit off air about a book by Laura Bryden called The Period Repair Manual for Women Over 40. And in that book, she opens up and talks a little bit about 
the shared experience of perimenopause, the doctor that was working in the hospital, she's a hospitalist, and she was sitting with a bunch of residents. And as she's educating and speaking at the lunch table with these residents, she just starts, oh my gosh, oh, it's hot. I'm having a hot flash. And she you know, takes her jacket off and sits back. And one of the residents looked at her rather disgusted and said, I just, it's not something that I want to talk about. She became highly offended because here she is, a professional woman in a professional setting, speaking to medical professionals about a physiological condition that all females go through. Right. And so she shared her disgust for that topic. And so I want to open up with that because I'm just going to light a little fire there, Corey, for you to get going. What do you oh. think the experience of perimenopause is like for the, the, the average population right now? Ah, that, that is such an important and weighty question, I would say. <laughs> I find it interesting that we have come to this place. As a Gen Xer, I feel like I'm part of a generation of people that just put their head down and get to work and mm -hmm. solve problems instead of talking about them so much. And that maybe that comes from being a generation of latchkey kids. I don't know. But the idea that perimenopause and menopause in general wasn't really fully discussed until over the last five to eight years, I think mm -hmm. is just fascinating to me because this is a shared experience that every woman that lives long enough, that is privileged to live long enough will have. Not every woman will experience pregnancy, yeah. but every woman will experience menopause. And the fact that we don't openly discourse about it is a little bit mind-boggling. It was in 2017, I believe, that medical students were surveyed and asked how prepared they felt to treat women in menopause. And most of them said they didn't feel prepared at all. And they didn't feel comfortable discussing symptoms and symptom management with patients. Now, that might be a function of, did we did they poll just the general medical class or were they polling people in gynecology fellowships? If that's mm -hmm. the case, then that is dire. <laughs> There's yeah. a big problem there. But I'm, I'm also seeing now that we do have a menopause certification for providers. They are right. they're certified menopause providers, and that is definitely a good step in the right direction a huge step in the right direction. You can always visit the North American Menopause Society website, menopause.org, and look up menopause providers in your area. And I'll make sure that we link that in the show notes because that is a necessary uh, resource, I think. Yeah. You need to be able to find a provider that will hear you. And if you live in a small area that you have one lady doctor in the whole area, then there are online resources. There are groups like Genev and Fingevity and several online telehealth platforms that connect patients around the world to menopause providers, whether they be in medicine or even dietitians and coaches. So you can get the resources that you need. But talking about this, obviously that's important to me. Can we just talk about this? That is the whole idea of our podcast. What we stand for is opening up the conversation around perimenopause and menopause. And it's not just for us. It is definitely for us, but it's also for the people that we live with and live around and do life with because I'm different now 
than I was five years ago. You're going to be able to say that about everybody, right? I've heard it said that when you marry someone, you're not just marrying them now, you're marrying everyone that they were and everyone Mm -hmm. that they will be because um, you're going into a partnership with a person that is not stagnant. You're dynamic individuals, so you will be growing. And if you're not growing, then that's a problem. (laughs) It is mental and emotional growth, but it's also mental and emotional growth through a variety of seasons of life. I am very blessed to have a partner who not only is supportive and understanding and open, but he's also right there in it with me. As soon as I started experiencing this, he started helping me research. And whenever I noticed that it's not just me, it's also most of my clients are in this age group. He started helping me try to find digital tools and different resources in the scientific literature of how to train women going through this change that is going to be the most beneficial because, you know, you have obviously the the hormonal changes, but then also that is on top of just general aging. It might just be because I'm in this space. I Mm -hmm. will say that it seems like we are talking about it a lot more, but I will always every week at least run across one woman that says i went through this just last year or whenever i went through this it it was not discussed and no one's talking about it and i didn't know what to expect it was like running into a brick wall and i didn't know what happened and so i do think that i have a bit of a um selection bias because i am so immersed in it i have empathy for women that have face this without a lot of support. And it isn't just my mother's generation. It is still this generation. Yes. And I hope that we're getting ahead of it. I hope that's what this is about. I think that it can be a very lonely place if you feel like you're going through it alone. And especially Mm -hmm. when there's not enough scientific literature and then there's not enough individuals who are talking about it. And then you have the subset of individuals that still feel like it's icky I don't want to talk about it because it's gross. Ooh, hot flashes. Ooh, cognitive decline. What? Ooh. And I just think, yes, I just, (laughs) lady things. I just think it's time to put the top on that and start to bring it out in conversation. So one of the big things I think that isn't talked about quite enough is the initial changes and the initial kind of alerts that you can start to get to really start to say, okay, I may be entering into a perimenopausal phase because the scientific markers are very elusive to know. You can have, oh, you might have a cycle length of here and this hormone could be a little low. But what are some things that as someone who's gone through it, someone that's also immersed in the literature, what are some things that you could say right off the bat? Here are the things to look for as you enter this phase of life, kind of the, the flags. Ooh, if only it were that easy. Um <laughs> It's like you have traffic signs, five miles, menopause. Exactly. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Your reproductive highways are coming to an end. You know, Just like we talked about last week about understanding your cycle opens up so much empowerment to you. I don't feel like we understand our personal, individual experiences throughout life with our cycle enough to really be able to be prepared. But it starts with understanding your body from mm-hmm. the moment that you are regular, from the while you're regular, instead of just trying to do life and, and run fast headlong into whatever the world has for you, um, take a step back and recognize the vehicle 
that you're driving through life in. And um, just like I can't drive a car day in, day out without making sure it has oil changes or that I have enough air in my tires or enough gas in the tank. I have to take care of that car. I have to understand the places where it needs maintenance and the times mm-hmm. that it needs maintenance. And I need to understand what it's going to do to show me that it needs maintenance. That little flashing light that looks like a gas pump means that I need to stop and get gas or else I'm just going to have to stop. <laughs> so it's the same with my body. Um, if you understand your cycle, from an early age, you're going to be able to recognize changes as they come. Um, most women that I've talked to have tracked their cycle in some form or fashion, okay. whether that's on a just a paper calendar with a little red dot on the on day one, or if that's using an app. I started using Clue about seven years ago. Okay. <laughs> it was 45. <laughs> and so that, that that might be an indication. I didn't start tracking my cycle. I didn't see what the point was because at that point we were finished having babies. Um, uh, measures <laughs> had been taken that we were not going to get pregnant. And so I didn't see the need necessarily to track my cycle until I started seeing problems. And that's when I realized, okay, I really probably should know what's going on with my body, but I didn't really dive super deep into all of the phases and um, what's happening whenever I ovulate. And so I couldn't even tell you what my physical symptoms of ovulation were until I started hitting perimenopause. And that's when I really started paying attention to my body and mapping my symptoms to my cycle. But if you have a real understanding of what your body does every month, then it's going to be easier for you to see the early signs. The early signs of perimenopause are changes in your cycle length and changes in your period length and period quality. And what I mean by that is it, your period itself, the menses itself might get heavier. It might get lighter. It might get shorter. It might get longer. The cycle itself might get longer. And all of those things are different for different people. If you're in the habit of tracking your cycle, then that kind of difference is going to be evident from the beginning. It's not a telltale sign like a hot flash. It's not one of those things that you automatically expect. This is what perimenopause is, a little Mm -hmm. bit of weight gain, grumpiness, and hot flashes, and that's it. But if I'm already a healthy individual, I'm working out all the time, I track my macros, I'm always very careful about what I eat, then I'm going to be fine. And that was my attitude. (laughs) And then I realized that it wasn't true. And the only way I realized that was whenever all of a sudden mayhem started with my body, with my health. We talked about that in our first episode when you asked me about the things that I first started noticing. The things that mm-hmm. I first started noticing didn't really have anything to do with my cycle length. It had everything to do with, if you'll recall, things that I thought were external mm-hmm. that caused by I'm not responding well to this workout anymore. I must be overtraining. I must need new shoes, uh, you know, all of the different yes. things. I didn't really map it back to what was going on in my body. We went to Rome and anecdotally, I had heard over and over again that people that have gluten sensitivities in the U.S. food supply can eat 
gluten containing foods in Europe because they have ancient grains and they're, they're not um, genetically modified and there aren't any of the problems that seem to come from the US food system. And that can be controversial from a uh, food science perspective. Um, mm -hmm. But anecdotally, I talked to enough people that could eat the pasta, they could eat the bread when oh, they went to France awesome. and Italy. And so I was like, come on, I'm here for it. Let's, <laughs> let's do sure. it. <laughs> I'm not going to Rome and not eating pizza. It's not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> and we ate pizza. <laughs> and the first day was okay. Second day, I started noticing that I was having uh, shin problems and joint pain. And we're walking 10 miles a day. I needed to be able to keep up. And I had to finally just, I had to back off. You can't eat pasta if you still have problems. And mm -hmm. I was 47 when we went to Rome. And what was actually happening was a symptom of menopause. One of my chief complaints has been joint pain. I still say to this day, I could count on all my fingers and maybe a couple of toes, how many hot flashes I've had in my life. Okay. I, I don't have a typical perimenopause of symptoms, but joint pain has been one of my chief complaints. Okay. And if I had known that I was knocking on the door of perimenopause or actually in the living room sipping tea mm. in perimenopause, <laughs> then I would have recognized what was going on, that sure. this was actually a hormonal thing and not a food thing. Uh, knowing more what's going on with your body from the beginning is going to be the best way to, to roll with the punches and to not just roll with the punches, but to be prepared. Okay. Because it's going to come yeah. <laughs> and, and you your symptoms think, are going to be different, but yeah. Do you come. think that if you had been tracking at that time that you would have seen maybe a change in cycle length, maybe a change in menses anywhere in there that would have started to tune you in to, okay, uh, this deep, this shin splint, this joint pain, this could be a symptom of perimenopause. I did notice some cycle changes or um, period changes. I know a few years before that was when I started noticing that my periods were getting heavier in the first day or two and then shorter. Prior to that, they were lasting five to six days. And then this was, I would have just floodgates open first day and then two days of almost spotting and then I'm done. And so I knew that was probably tracking along with just the winding down of my cycle, but I didn't really contribute it to the beginning of perimenopause. Even with tracking, it wasn't necessarily on my radar. And it was mainly because I didn't know that there were more symptoms besides hot flashes and, mm -hmm. and grumpy. So I, general education too. Got to talk about it more. Exactly. So if I had known that there were 34 plus symptoms and that musculoskeletal or joint pain or all of those different things were part of the, the entire suite of uh, symptoms, then I probably would have been able to understand it more. Yeah, absolutely. So how has your experience in perimenopause, I know that you're You've been an avid exerciser your whole life, former bodybuilder, mm. personal trainer, all of the above. How has that changed your relationship with exercise and maybe even your exercise routine since entering into this space? I'm, I'm going to be really real here. <laughs> Please do. I, I'm all about that. <laughs> 
I feel like some of my over-exercising, particularly in my 40s, has made my perimenopause harder. And it's not just over-exercising, but also not eating to support that level of exercise. Because um, my last big foray into something athletic was my final bodybuilding show. Mm -hmm. I had a coach to start with, and I had a bit of a falling out with my coach because I didn't really agree with his nutritional approach. He basically cut me to 1,200 calories. Um, at the end. And then he told me that this is what it takes. And if we need to get down to 800 calories to get you lean enough, we will. And that was when I said, no, we won't. And um, so we parted ways, but I still had to do my final cut by myself. The whole reason I hired a coach was to support me through that final cut. Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to only press the cut the calories button. I knew that there was like this manipulation of macros and manipulation of timing. And I just didn't have all of the experience to do that for myself. So um, that's why I hired him. Mm-hmm. And then he failed me. I had to land the ship on my own. And since we had already started a cut, and I think it was about three weeks in at 1200 calories, I just decided well, we're just going to have to stay here. Oh man. <laughs> and my, my whoop, I was wearing the whoop band to read HRV through the entire prep. It never came out of yellow, which is very poor recovery. I think once it, it popped green and that day I felt like utter crap. It was not a good day. My actual subjective reading of my body did not agree with the data. That goes back to what we were talking about with the cycle and with blanket recommendations. You really can't do blanket recommendations. It has to be along the individual needs. And so if my if my HRV says you are good to go, but I feel like I'm dragging the ground with every step, like I'm walking through wet cement, then that's the thing that I need to honor instead of pushing myself to continue. But in bodybuilding prep, No matter what the HRV said, I was there. I I was in the gym six days a week, plus cardio every day to get to the point where I felt like I could step on stage. At 48, I turned 49, like the week, two weeks after my last show. Wow. And I'm pretty convinced looking back on it, that severe cut of calories and that severe over-exercising that I did over the last two years prior to that show made my perimenopause harder. And I mentioned a few weeks back about uh, the toe surgery and Mm -hmm. the the foot problems and the joint pain that I talked about today. And with the change of hormones with thyroid and perimenopause that open a woman up to musculoskeletal issues. For example, right now I have frozen shoulder. So Mm -hmm. that's not something I can actually train through. (laughs) I'm more prone to injury mm-hmm. in May of this year. And it's October the 5th, 6th today, as we're recording this in May of this year, at the end of May, I pulled a deadlift, which was not a weight that I wasn't accustomed to that immediately made my back spasm to the point where I had to get 
the spotter in the gym to clean off my barbell because I couldn't bend over to pick anything up and put it back. Um, I've been in physical therapy for that and for my shoulder, which started hurting two to three weeks prior to that deadlift accident (laughs) and injury. I've been in physical therapy since June, trying to recover my lower back and my shoulder. There's some degeneration just because I'm 52. Just mm-hmm. because I've lived a lot of life in this body and my shoulders have been used a lot. My lower back has been used a lot. My favorite exercise in the world is a heavy deadlift. Oh, and yeah. just nothing like it, right? <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> is I love it. There's no feeling in the world better than feeling strong. Oh, and yeah. a deadlift is one of the things that makes me feel strong. Because I've been out of the gym due to injury. I've been on the bench. And prior to that, I was having a lot of knee pain that I was able to rehab just before my deadlift injury. (laughs) I had rehabbed my knees and they feel great now, but I was, I was unable to squat. I was unable to do a standing quadriceps stretch because that much extreme flexion of my knees hurt too bad. I couldn't make it work. Stairs were horrible. And this was just last December. Um, Do you feel like all of that that is a symptom of perimenopause? Do you feel like all of that is a change in hormones that are changing your relationship with exercise? Or do you feel like it's exercise load for a long time that it's just getting to wear and tear in your body? Maybe this is chicken and egg situation, but where do you feel like you stand with that? I think it can be chicken and egg, and we don't know which was first. Mm -hmm. It's like a snake eating its tail. There are symptoms of perimenopause that are exacerbated by symptoms of lifestyle. I'm sure I had developed some muscular imbalances that made made my knees adjust to force improperly. But I have had x-rays that show degeneration in that joint. I have x-rays that show degeneration in the joints of my shoulders and in my lower back and my neck. Some of that is due to life. Mm -hmm. Some of that is exacerbated by the hormonal cascade that I'm experiencing now. Um, We have mentioned before, I can't control what my hormones are doing, but I can control a lot of other things that make it easier for for me to live with the hormone change. And so backing off of training, backing off of the heavy deadlifts and, and moving more into unilateral work to work on balancing those imbalances was the way I was able to rehab my knees. Um, and the same goes for the lower back, for the shoulder. Um, there is something that was showed on MRI was a little scary just because of all the big crazy words that are used in medicine mm-hmm. to, to explain these things. But talking with my physical therapist, she said, that's just basically like wrinkles on the inside of your body. Oh, good. You, know, you, you just have them. Gotta, <laughs> it's part gotta of gotta keep it going, right? Yes, exactly. Now I can't necessarily get Botox injections for my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll be talking through the symptoms specifically of perimenopause in the coming weeks. But that's, I guess, a preview and because my personal experience is that these things happen. The best way to handle that in training is just change your focus. That's where I've landed. My focus is changing. And shortly after that, I saw a headline in the New York Times about changing your workout as you get older to okay. avoid chronic pain and to avoid um, different injury and overuse issues. I think that's 
that's wise because I think the last thing you want to do when things are changing is change everything, right? When right. you're changing, I want to hold on to the things that I can, I want yeah. to hold on to the things that make me feel good, but it's important. And I think in those times, I think it's also important to you're a training professional already, but I think it's really important to lean into individuals who are experts in aging fitness and who are experts exactly. in helping women overcome musculoskeletal injuries and prehabilitation, rehabilitation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that probably the MO for most women is to fight it. Yeah. I'm not paging. I'm going to fight it. I'm not, not going to be doing dumbbell <laughs> exercise. I'm going to keep squatting with the barbell. But I think right. that it's time to think, Hey, I need to stop, slow down and see someone that's an expert and when I say expert, I don't mean your favorite influencer on the internet. Someone yes, with ma'am. actual credentials, someone who is trained and certified in in women's health, especially in aging right. women's health, I think would be right. appropriate too. For so sure, that, for I sure. love that you brought that up and just said it's not where I would think or would want to go, but you're learning to stop and slow down. And that doesn't mean that as you train out of some of these issues and get your body back, because after especially a trauma like you went through in your last show, it can take years and years and years to get your body Mm -hmm. back out of it, to climb out of that hole. And then on top of some of the uh, perimenopause symptoms together, it just can take time to let the body heal and recover and it's not to say that after you get through this phase that you won't be picking up a barbell again. That's is absolutely, that's been my attitude. And also I have a little bit of selection bias. I definitely have the go hard or go home gene. Mm-hmm. This is not a surprise. Yeah. And when I first started strength training, I bought the whole idea that bodybuilding can be an older man's sport, that mm-hmm. you can get better in muscle sport as you get older, like yeah. a fine wine or a cheese, yeah. because, because of the longevity piece and the consistency piece of training. Um, the only problem with that is when I started training, I was training alone in my gym, mm-hmm. which was in my garage. I didn't consult a professional from the beginning. So I probably spent about a decade with subpar form until I started really actually studying, become a professional. And even as a professional, I get a little blinded to it. We have a way of not really seeing what we're doing to ourselves as even if it's something that you wouldn't ever do professionally with a client, Mm -hmm. you're going to do that to yourself all the time. And I find that in my training that I would tell women you're over 40. And so the studies show that over 40, the optimal Time for recovery between workouts is 72 hours, but I was lifting every single day at 51. Yes. (laughs) This is a problem (laughs) that I can dish it out, but I can't take it. And so coaches need coaches. I am definitely more prone in my old age wisdom to consult with a professional now than I ever have been in my entire life. (laughs) We see individuals as they progress in education, individuals with their Mm -hmm. PhD are like, I know nothing, but individuals with an undergraduate degree are like, I I know everything now. I'm an expert. Exactly. (laughs) Those undergrads are experts at so many things. I can tell you that from (laughs) personal experience on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. 
They know it all. And so I think that's pretty important and wise to remember that it's important that for coaches to have coaches, it's important to always be seeking knowledge. And you really, I learn a ton every time I work with a coach. But that kind of brings us into nutrition. What has changed about your nutritional strategy and even the nutritional strategy that you recommend to other women when they're starting this perimenopausal journey, just due to the weight gain starts to, to change, body composition starts to change, and then even some of the effect on hunger and uh, satiety, all of those things. What's changed about your nutrition regimen since perimenopause? Boy, remember in my 30s, talking to women older than me. And somehow I had established myself even at that time as a go-to in my circle for fitness and nutrition. And this was before I even had started my graduate degree in nutrition, but I had affected a personal transformation. As soon as you pop something big, like a 50 pound weight loss, then people are going to ask questions. You're an expert. Yeah, exactly. Because you clearly were able to solve this for yourself so you can solve it for me (laughs) and for the rest of the world. So I would have women in their fifties coming to me saying, I can't back off from the snacks. I cannot resist. I have no willpower. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And and I would just rack my brain trying to be sympathetic and trying to be understanding. But I ended up telling you, sometimes you just got to white knuckle your way through it. That advice has changed because now I have a um, frame of reference. I can relate. Um, I'm not a great dieter, nor do I think anyone should be a great dieter. I love that. Um, And I've heard that from so many people. I'm a good dieter. I don't stick very well to my exercise, but I'm a good dieter. That means you're really good at depriving yourself. I don't think that's a good idea for anyone's health. And I feel like I'm living that now because I was a good dieter Mm. for a long time. And, And combining that, what metabolic damage I may have done to myself by being a good dieter with the time away from training during the late stages of perimenopause where estrogen is really low, I have lost a lot of muscle. Mm -hmm. And because of that, my metabolism is depressed more Mm -hmm. than it, it was before. On top of that, the decline of estrogen makes us less insulin sensitive. We don't process and absorb carbohydrate like we should. If we don't change our diet, and a lot of that has to do with meal timing, then you run the risk of metabolic syndrome. That's basically the step before type 2 diabetes Mm -hmm. when your body is in insulin dysregulation. Your body doesn't really, is pumping out more insulin in order to be able to use the or process the glucose. And then if you can't process that glucose, then it gets stored away as fat. Now that is comes down to nutrient timing a lot. That's why I tell people to eat your carbohydrates before and after your workout Mm -hmm. because estrogen opposes insulin. Estrogen stimulates the muscle to take the insulin receptor to the muscle lining. In addition to that, insulin opposes cortisol. So if you are 
low carb all the way up to bedtime, then your cortisol is most likely dysregulated as well. Mm -hmm. So you end up with a cortisol response at night and that, that makes it hard to shut down your brain and shut down enough to go to sleep. So I tend to recommend a carbohydrate around your workout before to fuel the effort and after to begin the repair. Mm -hmm. And uh, the workout is important to bring the insulin receptors to the muscle wall so that you can um, absorb the carbohydrate and the protein. And then also to save a serving of carbohydrate for dinner. Mm -hmm. And that is to help you to bring the cortisol down so that you can get into a good night's sleep. Those are the main differences. And the other thing is sugar. Mm -hmm. And with the joint pain and the musculoskeletal pain, there's a lot of inflammation and sugar is one of the worst triggers for inflammation. So I have to avoid sugar as much as possible, which is really tough when it comes to having the perimenopausal craving. But I also know that if I can have a cookie, sure. But I also, I have to know it's really worth it to me because there is going to be a price to pay on the other side. Right. So it, you, you, it's like a risk and reward uh, ratio that you have to figure every single time. Those are the main differences. Oh, I've always had a pretty good protein habit, mm -hmm. but I have found that a palm of protein with every meal, do that five times or whatever in the day, not quite enough protein mm -hmm. unless it's chicken breast every single time, which mm -hmm. is very high in protein. I have to be more specific about my protein counting to dial it in. So even if I don't account a single macro besides protein, I will definitely make sure I'm getting enough of that. Very smart. Because because muscle is precious. That's right. <laughs> Hold on with everything you've got. That's good. Okay. So we've covered <laughs> exercise. We've covered nutrition. I also want to hit just some of the changes that you're seeing in cognitive function and even anxiety, depression side. What are some of the psychological signs and symptoms that you're seeing in any remedies that you have to help with some of those symptoms? You're not holding the punches, are you? No, I want it. I need. I need all the good stuff. I want it all. That has been a struggle, and the data maps to if you have struggled with um, depression before, that heightened depression actually can be a problem during perimenopause or mm. the menopausal transition. The same with anxiety. Um, there was a study in 2018, I believe, that mapped to postpartum depression. And I shared my postpartum story a few weeks back. Um, however, then there was another study that came out and said, it's really just depression in general. Okay. And postpartum depression is not any different than a general depression. So okay. you can't really map it just to postpartum. I don't know. I'm not sure how valid either one of those studies are, <laughs> honestly, because there's probably something there because there is a hormonal influence in postpartum depression. And mm -hmm. obviously there is in perimenopause as well, because yeah. the hormonal environment changes so much. So, yes, I have had trouble with that. And now and that is the main reason that I decided to use hormone replacement therapy. I noticed that it helps to control the joint pain. But beyond that, it helps me to, to stabilize my mood. Okay. Um, that in addition to getting sun on a daily basis and making sure I'm getting a good night's sleep. And a okay. lot of that does, that's solved by hormone replacement therapy as well, okay. particularly progesterone. Whenever 
If I'm not sleeping well, I know that's when I need to probably visit the doctor and let's dial this in a little better too. Good. I'm glad you've decided on that. I think that 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 decision, hormone replacement and not hormone replacement therapy is hard. You hear so many discussions back and forth, at least research that's no, and this research that's yes. And it seems from the information that I'm receiving, right, it's information bias because I think that especially Mm -hmm. when we are on social media, we follow the people that we agree with. And so I I agree with you. So I'm going to follow you. I disagree with you. Unfollow. Get out of my life. Echo chamber. Exactly. I don't want to listen to you. So I think it's important that we remember there are two sides to this conversation, but from the the things that I'm seeing trending, I'm seeing them trend more towards a kind of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy Mm -hmm. that kind of brings the level back up. It keeps you a little bit more in line with your natural hormones and maybe Mm -hmm. um, causes you a little more comfort with some of the symptoms and things. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad that's a a decision that you made. I'm really glad to hear that it's been helpful for you in managing the symptoms. I think that's probably a message to share here. Managing symptoms is very important in healthcare and in education. We want to say, let's treat the root of the problem. Let's treat really what's going on. Why are you sad? How do we treat the root of it? In this case, some of it may be just hormonal imbalances. Mm -hmm. Let's treat that before Mm -hmm. we treat it with just strict antidepressants. Let's actually get down to what's going on and see if we can figure out from there, because if that's the thing that's making you feel more depressed and we can fix it there, it's probably going to fix a lot of other issues that are probably contributing to your depression, like joint pain and inability to connect with people and brain fog and all of those things. So I love it that that you found a way to manage those. Yeah. Another thing, I've always been slightly introverted Mm -hmm. and I say slightly, I'm an introvert, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I had a better time of it before perimenopause. And it feels like my introversion is even more off the chain now than it ever really had been. But it is also definitely helped with the hormone replacement therapy. And that just goes to show that so much of our our mental health that we just either accept or we turn to other things to try to fix it um, really does come back to our hormone levels. And they're really, like you said, there is no reason to suffer. The controversy that I find interesting is you mentioned on one side, absolutely, you should replace your hormones. or And then there's the other side of it of maybe you shouldn't because it's caused so many problems in the past. I have this tendency to want to do things holistically, naturally, and to overcome just by my sheer force of will (laughs) and my good lifestyle. And that's not always going to be enough because how are you going to control and overcome a hormone change that is completely natural? Yeah. You're not. (laughs) You're going to have to, you're going to have to manage through it. If we have the ability to replace those hormones to the point, and I'm not talking about super physiological doses. I'm not talking about bringing me to the place where I was in my (laughs) thirties. No, I'm not. (laughs) Occasionally I go, Oh, wouldn't that be nice? I don't need the crazy that came along with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one of these days I will be a grandmother. (laughs) I'm okay with looking my age. I'm okay with that. As long as this package is as healthy as it can always be and performs as well as it can, then I'm okay with looking my age. Wow. 
That's really speaking to me today. I think that it's important. I think that speaks to anybody. I think confidence in aging and aging gracefully, which we, I think we have to talk about this since we're talking about this before we close up. Have you seen sure. the pictures of Pamela Anderson going makeup, makeup free at Paris Fashion Week? Come I on, saw it girl. this morning. She yeah, blew she really, the doors she, off of that yes. place. And I am just so excited about it. It just gives me chills when I see it. I'm like, this, this is how it's done. She's starting a revolution. Yeah. It's awesome. And, um, I, was it two years ago that there was, it was a trend on Instagram to share your no makeup selfie? Uh-huh, there was. Yeah. I think we're seeing sure. this slow transition and coming around of, okay, like this, I'm, everyone is going to age. We need to accept that this is what normal aging bodies look like. This is what normal aging mm-hmm. faces look like. This is the time. And so it's a, it's an exciting time to move into this em, embracing and loving where you are and the place yeah. that you are in life and enjoying every moment and not looking back and going, I wish I was that moment. I can't, or I can't wait until I am this moment. Let's just sit yeah. here, breathe in and enjoy the now. This moment. Right. Yes. For sure. Thanks so much yeah, for and sharing all of that. You yeah, did such a great job opening sure. up and sharing all of your experience <laughs> so far. Thank you. Thank you for asking questions and making space for it. I hope that other women hear this and are encouraged because it's not all, it's not all roses and unicorns and rainbows, but it's not all hellfire and brimstone either. There is beauty in the chaos. (laughs) That's right. That's why we're just talking about it. Thanks so much for talking about it with me. I sure needed the time we spent together and I hope it left you feeling good too. If you enjoyed the episode, please like subscribe and share it with your friends to bring other girlfriends into the circle. And Hey, let's do it again next week. Episodes drop every Monday. And you might even find a quick chat Friday every now and then.